Amen and amen. You may be seated. All right. Book of Ezra, chapter 7, 1 through 10. After these things in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, and just a lot of names there. We'll jump down to verse 6. He came up from Babylon. He was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. And some of the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Nethan, and basically the leaders, came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month. On the first day of the first month, he began his journey. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. So not only was he seeking the law of the Lord, he was doing the law of the Lord and he was teaching others how to do the law of the Lord. And when we talk about the law, you say we're not under law, we're under grace. We're talking about the instructions of God, the will of God, the word of God. All right? So kind of an introduction we've been using throughout this time. The descendants of Abraham uh, eventually became the nation of Israel. Through them, God was working to bring forth a people who would reflect the nature of God and bring God's values, God's purposes to pass in the earth. Throughout the centuries, Israel, the people of God that God was working through, would cycle through times of great devotion and victory, and then they would go through times of rebellion, idolatry, and defeat. Through their history, we see that God delivered them out of their captivity in Egypt into the promised land. He established through them a place of worship in the land of Israel at the city of Jerusalem where they built a temple and where they were to rule and reign Uh, to bring God's will to bear in the land and eventually throughout the earth. Unfortunately, we also see through their history this repetitive cycle of falling away. In their falling away, God continues to be merciful towards them by sending his prophets to call them back to himself. Unfortunately, as a result of their continued callousness and rebellion towards God, they ultimately found themselves captive to the nation of of Babylon. The walls of the city that God had built through them were now torn down. The temple that they had built, one of the seven wonders of the world, was destroyed. And they were now, instead of being free in their own land, captives to the might of the enemy of God's people. And in this particular case, that enemy was Babylon. Thankfully, God didn't leave his people the way they were. He would once again show himself strong toward his people as he began the process of restoring them first to himself and then to his purposes for them in the earth. In fact, Jeremiah the prophet prophesied before they were ever taken fully captive that God was already working towards their restoration. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14, For I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then... Right now, it doesn't look so good, but then you will call on me and, I, and, and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with some of your heart, most of your heart, all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. Now, last week, we looked at how God continued the process of the restoration of his people by restoring the temple. Remember, first we looked at the altar, then we looked at the temple. This week, he's restoring the, the, the rightful place that the word of God needs to have in the, in the, in the lives of his people. So for the second point we're going to be looking at here today is restoring 
the work. Once again, going back to our text, Ezra was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses. He came to uh, Israel in, in chapter uh, 7, verse 12 through 17. Uh, Artaxerxes, king of kings, to the Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, perfect peace, and so forth. I issue a decree that all those of the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites in my realm who volunteer to go up to Jerusalem, that they may go with you. And whereas you are being sent by the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hands. So he's basically saying, go find out whether or not the people, your people, the people of God in your land, whether or not they are keeping the law of God as is written in the Scriptures. And then verse 25 of that same chapter, And you, Ezra, according to your God-given wisdom, set magistrates and judges who may judge all the people who are in the region beyond the river, all such as know the laws of God, and teach those who do not know them. So he's supposed to set up a system of leaders who will instruct and teach and bring people into uh, 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 the, um, the, the into following the word of God as it's written in His word. So under this uh, he- headline, under this uh, first point, the subpoint that we want to look at, the first point is revealing the word. Now, after the battle to restore the worship of God in the land, and we've seen that where they had the altar and then they had the temple and there was an enemy that was restricting them for 20 years. They hadn't done it. After that battle, there was an interval of 57 years after the work was completed, after the temple was completed. In fact, it was a total of 80 years since the first king made the proclamation that the Israelites could go back and build the temple. So it's been a process of time. So 80 years later, after that, we pick up our text, and it's here that we see another aspect of God's restoration. He sends, through another king of Babylon, Ezra, a priest who is a man skilled in the word of God. Now, 2 Corinthians 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Not just knowing the word of truth, but rightly dividing the word of truth. And Ezra was that kind of man. If ever was a verse that would describe Ezra, this would have been it. His task was in his, uh, the way that God had equipped him and the way God was using him, his task was he was sent by the king to go back to the land of Canaan, the land of Israel, the land where the people of God were, and determine where they were regarding the word of God and then work to bring them into alignment with the Word. Okay, let me, let me stop there, and let me see if I can bring this into a contemporary situation. Let's say that they're building a plant, a new plant out here uh, in, at, at uh, Old, is there a place called Old Ocean? Yeah. Okay, let's say they're just building a plant out there in Old Ocean, right? And they've been building the plant, and they're just, they're, they're, they've been after it for a couple of a months, maybe a couple of years. And, you know, uh, all of a sudden it occurs to them, hey, we, we need to make sure that they're building it according to specs. They're building, but are they building properly? Are they building according to specs? So they send someone that knows the specs, 
knows the parameters, knows how things should be go back, should be, and then, and then he goes to that plant and he begins to determine, first of all, are you just building or are you building according to specs? And if you're building according to specs, are you building according to these specs? Okay, so that's kind of what was happening with Ezra. So they'd gone back, they'd built the temple, they'd had worship going, but are they doing it according to the word of God? So Ezra gathered the men that were going to go with him, and after some prayer and fasting, Ezra and the people departed on what would be a four-month trip from Babylon to Jerusalem. They arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month, which brings us to the main issue that pops up after Ezra's arrival. In Ezra 9, verses 1 through 4, it says, When these things were done, the leaders came to me, the leaders that were in the land, the leaders that he brought, saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites. So, Uh, Basically, everybody that's in the land have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands. In other words, they're living worldly lives. With respect to the abominations of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. In other words, they uh, they are not serving God alone. They're doing a lot of stuff they shouldn't be doing. Not only that, they've taken some of their daughters of the world of the of the land that they're in who uh, worship false gods, who live uh, uh, worshiping false gods. They've taken some of these daughters as wives for themselves and their sons so that the holy seed is mixed with the people of the lands. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and the rulers have been foremost in this trespass. He's basically saying not only the people, the church people doing it, but even the church, the pastors and the leaders, they're doing it. They're leading in this uh, uh, thing where the church is no different from the world. Now, we might be tempted to assume that this took place immediately when Ezra got back, but if you were to dig deeper into the text, you'll find that when they approached Ezra with this problem, about four to four and a half months had elapsed from the time that he first got to the city. So it made me start thinking, um, you know, what was happening within that time. But first, before we get there, Ezra 10, 9, so all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered at Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the 20th day of the month, and the people sat in the open square of the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. Now, why is this detail important? Because remember, they had been living this way for 50 plus years. They've been sacrificing at the altar, They've been worshiping at the temple. They had worship services. They had priests, so they had clergy. They had ministers. They had services. They were doing all this stuff, and they'd been doing it uh, for several generations. Ezra's arrival by itself is not going to change a behavior that they consider to be normal. You hear what I'm saying? So what is it about Ezra and his arrival that was the catalyst for recognizing that they were not living right? Remember, the Bible took some time to emphasize to us that Ezra was a man who was skilled in the law of Moses. We also pointed out that his task was to appoint judiciaries who knew the law of God and to teach the law to those who didn't know them. 
So the question we have to ask is, what was Ezra doing those four to four and a half months that he was back in Jerusalem? Would it be a stretch to say that while he was there, he got to work doing what he had been commissioned to do? He appointed people to serve who were knowledgeable in the Word of God, and he began to teach the people who were knowledgeable what, who were not knowledgeable what the Word of God was or should be. So who was Ezra teaching? He wasn't teaching people who were unfamiliar with God, who were outside of the covenant of God. He was teaching the people of God. He was teaching church people. He was teaching people like you and me who were sitting in church. He was teaching the people that God had brought out of Egypt and into the promised land, people that had been saved and delivered from their bondage. He was teaching the very people who were in covenant with God and what the covenant really was about. So people that had been saved, that were coming to church, that were listening to whatever it is that was being taught on Sunday mornings, that were having good worship, those are the people he was teaching. He wasn't teaching the world. He wasn't an evangelist. He was teaching church people. Now, I know... These weren't church people, but I'm just trying to make it relevant for us today, right? That's who he was teaching. Now, remember as well that these are the people that God had brought back from captivity for not keeping the covenant with God. They were people who had repented of the rebellion and idolatry and whom God in his word, mercy was now bringing back into the land of promise. Remember as well, these are the people who upon coming back into the promised land had built the altar of God, resumed the sacrifices of God, they restored the temple of God and resumed the temple worship. So as we learned previously, these were people, as we said before, whom today we might say had been saved reconciled with God, this is our terminology today, but we're making it applicable, and made a commitment to worship God and serve God. And for 50 plus years, they'd been doing that. They'd been going regularly to the temple to worship and sacrifice and tithe and do all the religious requirements required of them. But maybe at the same time, they were still going to the bars on Friday and Saturday night. Maybe at the same time, they were still sleeping around with people. You hear what I'm saying? Listen, I wasn't always saved. And when I got saved, I didn't get cleaned up overnight. It's a process, right? It, it, so, so, you know, when people come to church, you come in the way you are. We want you to come in the way you are. We don't expect you to come in clean, all pre everything, your life is, no, you come in the way you are, right? But over a process of time, there should become a change in your life. We should begin to see changes taking place in your life. The Lord will begin to do these things in life, but sometimes you can go to church and be blind to the things that are going on in your life and never think to yourself, hey, what I'm doing is wrong, Right? Yeah, homosexuality is wrong. Fornication is wrong. What is fornication? Any kind of sex outside of covenant marriage is wrong. Right? Being a drunkard is wrong. Sexual perversion in the form of pornography or uh, other kind of, that's wrong. And so well, we know it's, it's wrong. That's, you should be preaching that to the, to the world. No. 
it's the church. Because where, it's, where, it, where the rubber meets the road is the church. The, the world, they, we call them sinners, unbelievers. You expect sinners to sin. But people that are saved are called saints. You know what it means to be a saint? It means you're set apart. You're no longer part of the world. You are now separated from the world to serve after God. And here's the problem. The people that were going here that Ezra was preaching to, they were coming to church doing everything, but they had brought the world with them, which is at some point, it's understandable, but at some point, every time you come, there should be less of the world with you. Right? We're not telling you not to come to church. We're not telling you not to get involved. We're not telling you all of that. What we're saying is that over a process of time, you can't, your life can't be the same as it was before you got saved. There has to be change in life. We're not talking about wearing your hair in a bun or, you know, uh, wearing long, uh, no makeup. We're not talking about any of that. We're talking about living uh, lives that reflect his character and his nature. Right? Okay. I almost tripped over something here. Let me see. So in Hebrews, uh, so because when the word, uh, let, me, let me go back five. Okay, so they had been going regularly to the temple worship, sacrificing and tithing and doing all the religious requirements required of them. Yet in all that time, they had not known the word of God. Why do I say that? Because when the word of God began to be revealed, they, the people of God, not the world, the people of God began to be convicted of their sins. They recognized that they had been violating the standards of God's words, and they came to Ezra to confess their wrongs. Hebrews 4 and 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, people say, well, God is love. So if God is love, why are you doing this? Why are you being mean to me? Love will go out of its way to keep you from something that will harm you. You know, we don't correct our kids because we're mad at them. We correct our kids because we love them, and if we don't correct them, the behavior that they're on will lead to their destruction. So out of love, we do something that's hard for us to do, which is to correct our children so that they will become, uh, they, they will have a better opportunity to have success, joy, peace in life. So when God corrects us, it's not because he's a, he's a killjoy. It's not because he doesn't love us. It's not because, it's because he does love us. If you don't love somebody, you let them go. Go for it. I don't care anymore. I'm tired of dealing with you. That's not a sign of love. That's a sign of abandonment. Love brings uh, uh, restrictions and boundaries and cares into your life that will help you and keep an enemy from, from messing with you. The enemy comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. But God has come that you may have life. And what kind of life? Abundant life. Not just in the age to come, but here. That's why he told us to pray, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In the afterlife, no, on earth as it is in heaven. 
So prior to Jesus' ministry in preparation for it, going to the New Testament, John the Baptist began preaching in the wilderness of Judea. In response to the word, the people began to recognize their sinfulness and came to him to repent of it. Matthew 3, 1 through 6, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan River confessing their sins. At Pentecost, when the Spirit of God was poured out on the disciples, Peter got up and preached Jesus. Jesus is the Word made flesh. As the crowd heard about Jesus, the Word, the Bible says, they were convicted. What does it mean to be convicted? I'm doing something wrong. Not condemned. Condemned means you lousy, no good. No, that's not what was happening. They were convicted. I'm doing something wrong. And it's okay to recognize when you're doing something wrong because you can't change if you don't know that it's wrong. Acts 2, 36-39, when they heard this message that Peter was preaching, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? See, religion doesn't want to help you, but God wants to help you. Peter said to them, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. What I, I'm wanting to highlight today is the importance of the Word of God to the people of God. We can reconcile with God. We can get saved. We can fellowship with God. We can pray. We can go to church. We can have a fellowship with the saints of God. We can sing songs and worship. All these things we can do and we should do, but if we don't know the Word of God, we can be so far off in our walk with Him. And we can say, well, God loves me anyway. He does. God understands. I don't know. Hosea 4 and 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. How do we learn the will of the Father? Through the Word of God, right? Many will say to me in that day, now listen, this is Jesus talking. Many will say to me in that day, now these people think they're good. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? We're charismatic. We do Pentecostal stuff. We cast out demons in your name, and we've done many wonders in your name. We're doing the stuff. And Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In other words, you, you do stuff, you do things, but you don't bring yourself into submission to my word. You hear what I'm saying? We have to learn how to bring ourselves into submission to his word. Jesus said in another place, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Where do we find his commandments? And his commandments aren't grievesome, right? They're not hard. John 8, 31 through 32, Jesus said to the Jews who believed on him, if you abide in my word, then, it doesn't say the word then, but it's implied, then you are my disciples indeed. It doesn't say if you've gone up to the front and said a prayer. It doesn't say if you sing during the worship service. It doesn't say if you give a dollar on tithely. It doesn't say that. It says if you abide in my word, and to abide means you know it and you do it, then you are my disciples indeed. 
And then when you practice my word, you will really know. You'll have an intimate knowledge of the truth. Not a head knowledge, heart knowledge. And the truth, the word of God, which is living and powerful because you are learning it and applying it and living in your life, the truth will make you free. You get a lot of people in church that aren't free. Why? Because they don't practice his word. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Therefore, whoever hears these words of mine, what we're talking about, the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus has given us the word of God. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it didn't fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Do you know what sand is? Little pieces of rock. Take a truth here, take a truth there, here a truth, everywhere a truth, everywhere a true truth. Oh, this, I'll do this one, but I won't do this one. I'll do this one, but I won't do this one. I'll do this one, but I won't do this one. You're not building on a rock. You're building on sand. And everyone will face the winds and the rains. But the ones that are built on the true rock, on Jesus and his word, the wind is not going to blow them over. It's not going to cause them to stumble. It's not going to cause them to fall because Jesus is the strong tower. You can't stand but he will stand. Well, how do we learn how to stand? By being planted on the rock. By being, uh, by hidden in the strong tower. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress in him will I trust. James 1, 22 through 25 says, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, because if you're just a hearer of the word and not doer, and I know I'm adding to it, then you deceive yourself. It's only when we do the Word of God. And I was just thinking about something. I'm going to read it here because uh, I think uh, it's in Romans chapter 19. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. All right. Romans, not, not chapter 19. Hold on here. Acts 19. Sorry. Acts 19. Where's Acts 19? Right before Acts 20. But if you need more, it's on page number. <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, credible revival taking place in Ephesus. God doing tremendous things in Paul's life. Uh, even the very claws that he was wearing, there was extraordinary miracles taking place. Even the claws that he was wearing were taken to people, and, and, and God was healing them, delivering people. Incredible move of God. And then there were some people in this called the sons of Sceva. They were in here, and they were saying, they were going trying to cast out demons. They said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul serves, we command you to come out. And the demon says, well, I know God, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but I don't know who you are. And the Bible says that that man full of demons overpowered them, and they ran out, you know. And it says in verse 17 of Romans 19 and 17, this became known both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And here's the thing. And many who had believed, not had never believed, had believed. Believed in who? Jesus. They'd heard the word. 
They'd believed in God. Many who had believed, when they saw what was taking place, it says, they came confessing and telling their deeds. What kind of deeds? Were they good deeds? No. These are what they were doing in the dark that nobody knew about. This was the church. Now remember what's taking place here is there's an incredible move of God. There's the power of God that's being demonstrated. The power of God is moving and these people are sensing the power of God. God is being magnified and all of a sudden they're being convicted when they saw the power of God manifested and the believers came and confessed and told their deeds. Also, many of those, those believers, because the context is still believers, many of those who had practiced magic, so the context is that before they got saved, there was a lot of sorcerers and magicians and, and witches and warlocks or whatever. You say, well, that stuff's not true. Well, I think you're mistaken. It's not the truth, but people do it. But this city was known for that. And they said many of those people, so these people were saved. They were going to church, but they came confessing their sins. Many of those who had practiced, so this was in the past, they weren't practicing now, magic, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. And so here's, before I read that last sentence, so what's happening? They said, well, they stopped practicing it, but they didn't get rid of their stuff. Because there's still a lot of value in it. It was worth a lot of money. It was a part of my life. I'm not ready to let it go. But when the power of God began to move, all of a sudden they began to realize, i got to let this stuff go. We're talking about believers. And so the believers came, confessed their sins. And then what happened when that they came confessing what they were doing, the things that they had? Remember, the context in Ezra is you're talking to believers. You're talking to the people of God. And here they had brought the world with them. They hadn't let everything go. They weren't willing. This wasn't just one year after they got back. This was 50 years of Christendom, of serving God. 50 years of going to church, and this is what they were doing in private, right? Ezra comes in, preaches the word of God. They say, man, we, we're messed up. We got to get things right. In the book of Acts, they're saying, hey, when the power of God began to move, hey, this ain't right. We need to get this out of our house. We need to get this out. Of, we need to burn that. We need to get rid of this stuff. And here's the key, verse 20. And when they began to confess their sins, get rid of their stuff, just like in Ezra, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. You see, the word of the Lord will grow and prevail as long as we're not obstructing it. Because it's like a seed. Well, well, the seed of God, God has accomplished whatever it wants. The word of God will accomplish whatever it wants. Yes, but it also says in Matthew 13, it says when you plant a seed, if there's stones, it won't allow the seed to take root. If you go after the cares of this world and deceitfulness of riches, the seed that's planted in your life won't bear fruit. You got to deal with the stuff. You got to deal with the sins. You got to deal with the hidden things. Most prominent, one of the most prominent things that Christians feel free to do is carry unforgiveness and anger. Instead of dealing with it, they go to another church. And they take their anger, unforgiveness, and they take all that stuff to another church with them. And then they begin to find other people in that church that also have anger and unforgiveness. And the next thing you know, you got a church split. Because division fosters division. And if you've got a divided heart, it's going to bring division in your life. It's going to separate you from God, but also separate you. So with unforgiveness, wait a minute, that's not a sin. Yes, it is. 
God wants you to deal with it because it's going to cause you to bring, allow the enemy of God to have inroads into your life. And if he has inroads into your life, he'll have inroads into your family, inroads into the church. He'll have inroads. You've got to deal with your stuff. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So let's wrap this up. To recap what we've learned, Ezra, a man knowledgeable in the word, came to Jerusalem, began to teach it to the people, and these were people whom today we might say had been saved, made a commitment to worship God and serve God, and for 50 years they've been having services in the land, so they've been, they've been basically infants for 50 years. They had been going regularly to the temple to worship, sacrifice, and tithe, and do all the religious stuff. Yet in all that time, they'd never truly known the Word of God and they hadn't practiced the Word of God. Because when the Word of God, the way it's supposed to be taught, began to be revealed, they began to be convicted of their deeds. See, when, when the Word of God, that's why you've got to have the Spirit of God, but you've got to have the Word of God as well. You've got to have both, right? And so what happens, begins to happen, when you begin to preach the Word of God, is something's going to happen. Either you're going you're to say, man, that's right, I need to change, or you're going to get mad. And when you get mad, you're either going to cause a ruckus, a commotion, or you're going to run. But anywhere Jesus went, because he's the word of God made flesh, there was a commotion. Things didn't stay the way they were supposed to stay. He was either people were running to him or they were running from him. Right? They were throwing down their swords or they were picking them up. But things were not, when the word of God began to come forth and do his stuff, things did not remain the way they were. And when, we, when the Word of God is being preached, it should cause and bring changes into your life. So I'm fully expecting, and my desire, what I hope, is that when people hear the Word of God, they say, I ain't right, I need to change. And the Bible says, if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But you've got to say to yourself, I'm wrong. Not, hey, I'm caught. No, I'm wrong. This isn't right. Lord, help me to be free of something that I know is not right in your life. It's not just, hey, it's not right, it's wrong to do this against another person. No, sin, first and foremost, is not so much against the other person. That is a sin, but it's sin against God. When I recognize that my behavior is offensive to God, it's outside of God's purview, outside of righteousness and justice. So it's imperative that we as the new covenant people, there's somebody who has a tongue or, or a prophetic word, so be ready when you get that. So it's imperative that we as a new covenant people of God recognize the importance of the word of God. We too can reconcile with God, have fellowship with God, go to church, sing songs, fellowship with one another. All of these things we can do, but if we don't know the word of God, we can and will be far off in our walk with him. We need to be people 